Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. You know how when you're watching the TV news, sometimes they'll say before they run a clip, uh, warning, uh, this could be graphic and disturbing for some, so uh, you need to know that ahead of time. You don't think you'd usually have to do that with a scripture reading. But our story today is graphic and disturbing. It comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, and I'm reading from verses 14 to 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back into the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Well, last Sunday, I know several of you couldn't be here last Sunday, 4th of July, but those who were here, we had a great day. It, it Road race, 
The weather was perfect. Outdoor worship. Hot dogs and Kona ice. Blue sky. It was great. I went home, took a nap. That evening, Melissa and I loaded the car with friends in beach chairs for fireworks in Midtown. Home about 10.20. Under the sheets about 10.30. And I'm asleep recounting this wholesome, good, good day. From 10.30 till about midnight. And that's when the fireworks started right outside the window of my townhome. And from midnight till about 2.30, we celebrated the freedom of the USA right outside my window. Oh, it was a lot of celebration. But I shot up at 12 when I heard the first fireworks thinking it was gunfire. And my first suspicions were not totally uninformed because gunshots in my neighborhood are not that uncommon. Those of you who have that Nextdoor app like I do uh, see the reports in town about every week. There is hardly a week goes by that the Nextdoor app reporting the neighborhood goings-on doesn't report a shooting. Anybody else hear that? Was that five gunshots? Seemed to be coming from the Home Depot parking lot. Every week. Now most Sundays we come in here, we come to church to stare at what is most lovely and pure and perfect and try to bend our lives to that Jesus-sized hope. But we can't ignore the evil that's all around us. Some of the wickedness is bred in the gutter. But some of it gets dressed up, carries a briefcase. We'll see that in our story today. But we often get the coverage, the TV coverage of the evil on the street, like when a golf club pro gets shot on the fairway or knifings that happen in nightclub parking lots. But evil is a whole lot more pervasive than even what we see. I I have an, an unlikely friendship with the district attorney of DeKalb County, Sherry Boston. Sherry is my dear friend, and, and part of what we do for each other is we go to dinner together fairly regularly and tell stories of very different life experiences. Because I spend my weeks in, inside my bubble of white privilege, lunching with the good people of Atlanta, you all, the church folks, my golf buddies, the people at Rotary. Sherry is an African-American DA who spends most of her weeks prosecuting Atlanta's disgust. Once she took me on a tour of her offices in downtown Decatur, and everywhere you look, there are assistant DAs and office workers milling around Desks scattered everywhere. She opened up one door to this expansive room Desk everywhere, workers and alcoves and computers and activity and just, and she said, 
all of these people you see work only with crimes against children. I was dumbfounded. I said, what? All of them? Crimes against children? Just in DeKalb County? She said, yes. And they have a terribly large caseload. It's not on the news. And so often it looks like evil is winning. But as I said, our our scripture today reminds us that evil is not reserved for nightclub alleys and late night syringes. There's another form of evil that eats at the St. Regis. Systems of dominance that exploit and exclude and feed hungrily on power. Now, I've heard people with starch shirts and expensive shoes say there's no such thing as systemic racism or systemic evil, that only individuals can be evil, not systems. But I warn you to be careful. It's a little like saying your car does not have a distinct smell, but others do. We can be blind to our own stink. Our story today is a story of white-collar power, dressed-up evil, kind of like the TV show Mad Men. It's Herod's birthday party. Now, usually when we think of a king's birthday party, it conjures up some Disney images of a, you know, queens and chariots and ballrooms and minstrels, but this isn't a Disney film. Today's story is rated R, graphic violence, adult themes. The party is loud, and there are lots of people there. The drinks are flowing. Serving slaves are bringing lamb and bread and broiled fish and vegetables, and they refill the glasses, and some people have been overserved. Long tables of important guests from Galilee, political magistrates and landowners and military men with lots of medals and bars. Sensual consumption, showing off, not many women present. Oh, oh, there, there's Herod's new wife, uh, Herodias. Uh, she used to be her, his brother's wife, but Herod liked her looks and took her as his own. You know, he's king and all that. Who challenges the king? You challenge power, you might not get invited to the next debauchery bash. Now, now one guy, one guy in town does challenge the king. He, he's a guy we've met before in the wilderness, John the baptizer. And John even took the king on for stealing his brother's wife. His loud opposition, an embarrassment to her, she and her daughter held a fierce grudge. They didn't bother John. He didn't let up. John was the one guy who wouldn't back down from the power of the regal crowd. How did John get away with that? Well, the king was just a tad bit afraid of John. Not because John had power like Herod, but because 
John had a different authority. He was righteous and holy, and his God-inspired goodness, it's always a threat to the simple power of title. So, at the party, this is sick, and I know it's sick. But Herod tells his own daughter to come out and dance for the important men. His his own daughter is the gyrating entertainment for the night. And it pleases them. And Herod the host is so delighted that the who's who of Galilee is having a good time that he decides to show off. And he says to his daughter, ask me anything you wish, I'll give it. So she leaves the party to confer with her mother about how to spend this promised prize. Maybe a Louis Vuitton purse, an Audi convertible, a trip to Paris, whatever you want. No, but because of Herodias' hatred of John, the daughter flits back into the testosterone filled room and declares, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Wine and bragging, power and posturing, family sickness and slippery slopes, and before you know it, the story ends with the daughter handing her mother a bloody trophy. And did you notice Did you notice that not one powerful attendee is recorded as having confronted this despicable abuse of power? Not one. Magistrates and military, landowners and courtiers, they're all caught up in the vortex of this white-collar power. And again, it looks like evil is winning. But there are two things going on here that shine the light of God's hope. The first looks so innocent that some might not even think it deserves to be mentioned. It's kind of tucked away. But in the last verse of this R-rated barrage of evil, there is this little sideline It looks benign enough, but right after the girl gives her mother the gruesome platter, the final verse says, when John's disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It's an odd detail, but no matter what kind of evil is within us or among us, there's always some group of committed goodness that's willing to show up and help. But there is a bigger story of hope that the gospel writer is trying to set up here in chapter 6. Mark is writing two stories at once. There's this whole other screen on the computer that's been open all the time, but we don't see it most of the time. We, we get so busy watching this screen with the distractions of the gunshots and burglaries and gerrymandering and Ponzi schemes and big shots and beheadings and all that stuff. 
that we fail to see that what's happening on the other screen is, as Jesus says in Mark, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, we have been stuck looking always at just the images of human evil, and Mark all the while is marching toward the end of the gospel story where the time is fulfilled, where love wins in the end. Mark's setting up this story the whole time. Let me introduce a Greek term here, eschatology, the study of end times. This other screen, it's full of eschatology, end time, this big picture, this kingdom reality that's winning all the way through the story, if we can see it. I mean, over here, we just saw John's life come to an end. But there are always hints going on in the gospel, like when he said earlier, there's one coming after me and I'm not fit to tie his shoes. Over here, we just saw these men with the fat cigars watching a young dancer and the abuse of power in the worst kind of ways. And over here, Mark says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. On on this screen, there are all these important people with power, influence. They're the ones who get invited to Herod's birthday after all. And over here, Mark sets up another scene. Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belong. We saw in this story a band of disciples who came and took away the body of John and laid it in a tomb. And in chapter 15... Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has broken forth in Jesus. And those who wait and listen and lean in will see all of what is really happening. On this screen, what is really happening is so much immensely more powerful than any birthday party full of bigwigs. For all the evil in the world, it does not win in the end because... The kingdom of God is at hand. Bob Setzer, who, a, a friend who uh, years ago was pastor of First Baptist Church in Macon, said that years ago when he was in a seminary class, in this kind of sleepy theology seminary class, the, press, the, the professor said something in that class that he said has become his comfort Every time he looks around and it looks like evil is winning the game. The affirmation God is love cannot be sustained apart from a robust eschatology.
In other words, he says, unless someday God sets right what has gone so terribly wrong in this broken world, it is nonsensical to speak of God's love, let alone God's justice. There's just too much wickedness that goes unanswered, too much violence that carries the day, too much evil that runs roughshod over good. But this is the gospel message over and over and over that evil wins battles, it never wins the war. God's love redeems, reclaims, and wins. We can't be naive about how much evil is out there. It is not just the media reporting evil. In fact, there is so much more depravity. We, we wear our Sunday school blinders, and I just don't think we have any idea how much real depravity is in the world. There are truly horrible things happening in this city every day and every night. And I need to tread lightly here, but most of us have another danger. You and I are the ones who get invited to the king's birthday party. Most of us in here have circles of influence, and we are in no way immune to the seduction of power. It takes a disciplined spirituality to know that your own car smells. But the final, the final word of good news is that at the end of the story, well, the end of the story's already been written. And, and our efforts, good or bad, don't change the outcome. The kingdom of God is at hand. History is marching toward the ultimate victory in Christ. And what is most true in this world is happening on this screen. In 1996, Madeline Engel published a novel, and, and she took the title for her book from a William Langland poem. And the line of that poem that inspired her title could also work as a title for Mark's eschatology, for Mark's understanding of where this story is actually headed. Here's the line. All the wickedness in the world that man might do or say was no more to the mercy of God than a live coal dropped in the sea. Evil is real and it is around, but it does not win and it is not even close. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.